Good morning. I want to wish a happy Father's Day to all the dads here. I hope you have a good day and your wives and children treat you like the kings that you are. I want to say that right now. <laughs> and with that, I will leave before the repercussions start. I know I'm going to be talking to a lot of people after the message on that one, okay, but uh, that's okay. I had to get that in. I, uh, I didn't bring, usually I bring a, a clock and I put it over here. I didn't bring it this morning. I know some of you are turning pale already, worried about it. They were, yes, all right, there were all kinds of offers. Well, I, I don't want you to worry about it because I just spoke to Nick Camelloni and I told him if it gets to be about 1.30 to go like this, it's time, it's time. So, okay, that's not good. My lens fell out of my glasses. This is, <laughs> here we go again. Just give me one second, I'll pop this in or else I'll be doing it the hard way. I'm going to do it the hard way, okay. I'll be squinting. Okay, I can see pretty good. Okay. Anyway, before we start, I'd like to pray f for all of us. Pray for you, and especially for me. So, <laughs> let's bow our heads, please. Father, thank you for this day, another day that you've given us, Lord. We are reminded that we're like mists, and the way a mist, when the sun comes up, it, it disappears so quickly that, Lord, that's the way our life is as well. And may we make the most of every moment that you give us, Lord, and live it for you in your glory and do your work. Now, Lord, as we listen to your word, Lord, I pray you would open our hearts, you would give us ears that can hear, and help our minds to uh, understand and perceive, and then, Lord, help us to apply these words to our heart. Lord, I pray as I speak that you would guide me, Lord, and uh, that I would only speak your truth, Lord, not man's opinions, but your truth. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Those of you who were here last week, ah, oh, thank you, Nick. Wonderful. What a guy he is. That, perfect. Thank you. Last week, while we were uh, looking at 1 John, just a quick, just a little recap of it. Uh, I said that John, the apostle, probably wrote this sometime between 85 and 95. That's usually considered most scholars figure because it's believed that he wrote the book of Revelation, the last book, in 96 AD. So these were written before that time. Uh, he probably wrote them from Ephesus because it's believed that John, when the fall of Jerusalem took place in AD 70 and the Roman general Titus came and completely devastated and crushed the city at that time, it's believed that John went to Ephesus. He got away there and he stayed in Ephesus from 70 AD until he was taken to the Isle of Patmos around 96 AD. So when John was writing these, he was already an older man and by the time he writes from Patmos, he's probably at least in his late 80s. In fact, the, the church fathers, from what we can gather, the early fathers like uh, 
Papias and Justin Martyr and uh, Eusebius, all these early church fathers, they, they would, in their writings, their stories of John where when he was very, very old and he was too weak to walk, he could hardly have any voice and speak, that the people would gather around him, he'd be carried on a mat, and over and over again, and you'll hear it in today's verse, he would say, little children love one another. He became known as the apostle of love because John was very much emphasized love, and he would just say, little children love one another. Very interesting, because we'll look at that later. That sums up all of God's commands, ultimately, by that. John just took it like Jesus did and narrowed it down. Anyway, when, as John writes this, I tried to emphasize last week that like most letters or epistles in the New Testament, the apostles and men who were writing were writing many times addressing problems and heresies in the church. And if you remember, we said last week that in the Galatian church, within 20 years of the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of Christ, Paul was saying, you, you're following a different gospel. In 20 years, the gospel had been perverted. And that has always, right from the beginning, the truth is always attacked. And to this day, it is being, and it's being brutally attacked these days. Liberal, liberal theologians are just slicing apart the Word of God and taking out the truths. And we can see the direction that the churches are going in today. They're moving away from the truth of God's Word and they're doing, they're saying, well, we have to keep up with the times. Nowhere does God's Word change. Absolute truth is absolute truth. Whether it was spoken 2,000 years ago, or it's if the Lord decides not to come for another 3,000 years, truth doesn't change. That's absurd. How can you say that? <laughs> you know, you can't, red isn't red today and black tomorrow. It's always red. Red is red. Two plus two is four. It never changes. You know, and we, uh, I mean, some people might distinguish colors a little bit differently, so I'll use math. Two plus two is four. Okay? That you can't dispute. It's absolute solid truth. It's logic. That's what it is. It doesn't change, and neither does God's Word, no matter how much time is passed, no matter how our culture changes. The Word of God is to take the culture, the culture is to be conformed to the Word of God. We don't try to take the Word of God and conform it to our culture, but that's what we're doing. And John here is addressing heresies at the time. I said there were two major heresies that this church was facing. One was docetism, if you remember. That was the belief that Jesus really wasn't fully human. He really wasn't a man. He was more like a phantom. He appeared to be a man, but he really wasn't. And you notice when we read last week how much John emphasizes, we heard him, we saw him, we touched him, he says. He's trying to make that point. Make no doubt about it, Jesus was a human being, he says. And then the other belief was Serinthianism. And that was the belief that 
Jesus really wasn't fully divine. What took place was at his baptism, divinity filled him. But then before the crucifixion, the divine Jesus left him like that. And it presents all, and I kind of went through it last week. I won't take the time now, but it creates all kinds of theological problems, especially when it comes to the atonement and the forgiveness of our sins. We're in trouble if that's the case. But it's not the case, and John is making that case clearly here, that Jesus was fully God and fully man. Now, we left off last time right at the end of chapter 1. So we'll start today in chapter 2, verse 1. And I'm going to read it, and as I read it, I will make some comments and give you some uh, references to it. John begins, he says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Notice how John addresses them again. He says, my dear children. There's love in John's words for these brothers in Christ as he writes to them. And by the way, it's believed that this might have been written to the church at Ephesus. And the reason is that that's where John was, had been located probably from 70 AD, like I said. And at the time uh, afterwards when he went to Patmos, when he writes, Jesus has him write the seven letters to the church. It's interesting, he first starts right across at Ephesus and then goes up along the mailing route there. It, it starts with Ephesus and then Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, goes all the way down to Laodicea. But Ephesus is the first church that the letter is also written to but from Revelation. He says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. Now John is not trying to say that we will never sin. Because if you looked in verse uh, chapter 1, verse 8, he says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So John here is not trying to to say that you're never going to sin when he says, I'm writing this so that you will not sin. Because the potential is there for us always, not to sin. You know, we automatically think, well, we're human, we're going to sin. Yes, that's what happens, but the potential for us to not sin, we have the Holy Spirit in us. If we have been born again, the Spirit of God lives in us. And if the Spirit of God lives in us, He also gives us the ability to be holy and to be separated from sin. But unfortunately, we do. In fact, uh, I can remember 1 Corinthians 10.13, Paul says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Meaning, so that you don't have to sin. You don't have to say, oh, it was just so tempting. I, I, I couldn't resist. No. God will always provide a way out for you. I always remember years ago the story 
of a, of a man was telling how he, ha- he was struggling with pornography. By the way, that's a problem in churches with men. It really is. We think that, well, pornography is not a problem, you know, in the Christian church. It's a problem with Christian men, and it's a problem with Christian pastors. And it's something we have to really, really be careful of because that is a temptation that so many men have fallen into, and it's so addictive like that. But this man said he was struggling with pornography, and every morning on his way to the subway, there was a magazine rack, and there there were all these girly magazines that were out there. And he said every day he'd walk past, and it'd be like, you know. And then he said, I realized one day, I walked on the opposite side of the street. Easy salute. I mean, sure, he still had to struggle with it, but why put gasoline on the fire? You know, and that's what he was doing. Every day he'd go by there and it would kind of just, oh, you know, if it's a problem, stay away from it. What did Jesus say? If your right hand causes you to sin, of course he's not talking about that literally, but he's making a point that you cut yourself off from the things that lead you to stray. If your right eye, he says, causes you to sin, pluck it out. Whatever causes you to sin, separate yourself from it, he says. And John, so John, when he says here, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. He's trying to encourage them here, is what he's doing, saying, you don't have to sin. I'm writing this to encourage you. Be holy. Be separate. That's what holiness means. It means separated unto God and being separated from sin, apart from sin and devoted to God. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. I got to say hallelujah there for that one because without that, I can say I would be lost completely you know i just we have he says our defense some some of the your versions may say an advocate that's also what it means ultimately what it in the greek what it means is we have a defense lawyer we have somebody who speaks before the judge on our behalf and he says good things he doesn't accuse us satan is the accuser Jesus is our defender. He's the defender of us. He's our defense attorney. He's our advocate. You know, when we have to stand, someone has to stand before God and answer for a list of crimes. You know, as the gavel's getting ready to say guilty, Jesus says, wait, Father, he belongs to me. He's covered by my sacrifice on the cross. Thank God for that. We, we take it for granted, people. We really do. As Christians, we get so used to saying, Jesus died for my sins. You know, that, should, that should put a fire in our bellies, in our hearts, actually. You know, it really should. That should. When we think about being forgiven, yesterday, Friday night and, and yesterday, I was at Michael Philippone's uh, wake and funeral. And, you know, although funerals are a sad time, like, like Paul says, you know, 
We, we grieve, but we don't grieve as the world grieves. Yesterday at, at, at the cemetery, you know, what a time to remember, you know, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Oh, that's our hope. There is no other hope. Whatever you're hoping for in the world, you know, I hope I win the lottery. I hope I retire. I hope this and that. Not going to mean a thing when we take our last breath. You know, and I was, when I talked to Lucy about Michael, because I didn't know Michael that well, and I said, Lucy, I said, is Michael's, was Michael's faith in Jesus? And she said, yes, his faith was in Jesus. And I had such a relief in my heart to hear that. And Lucy did too, to know that he's in heaven right now. We'll see him because of that. Because we have an advocate, someone who defends us, who takes, who took our place on the cross. And we're forgiven for that. I just want to read you something from Romans. It's Romans 8. Romans 8, 33 and 34. The Apostle Paul writes, Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Wow, and then he goes on to say, who will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? And he lists every possible spiritual, physical, every kind of uh, situation you could imagine. He says, who can separate us from that love of Christ? But he says that he is at the right hand of God. Jesus in, is in the right hand, is at the position of power. Jesus is ruling. He's in power. And not only that, he says, He's also interceding for us. Can you imagine that? Jesus speaks up for us on our behalf in front of the Father. That's hope. That's, that brings peace to know that I'm not on my own here, you know, but Jesus is speaking for me like that. Uh, in Luke... I can't remember the chapter now. I think it might be... Uh, Luke 22, but anyway, Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. It's basically just got you in his hand. He's, he's going to really just do a job on you. He's going to do a number on you. And then Jesus says, but I have prayed for you, Simon. He says, that your faith may not fail. He says, and when you return back he says strengthen your brothers jesus knew that simon was going to deny him three times but he also knew jesus was praying for him that his faith even though he would we would have a, a a moment there where he would deny christ that it wasn't a total collapse of his faith and that he would come back and he says and strengthen your brothers like that, that Peter would be restored. But can you imagine, he says, Simon, Simon. He says, Satan desires to shift you like wheat, but Simon, I'm praying for you 
Imagine Jesus praying for you. Wow. And he does. He does. And I think it's 1 Timothy uh, 2.5 where Paul is writing to Timothy and he says, there is one God and one mediator between God and, man, and men, the man Christ Jesus. There's only one God, but there we have that mediator, Jesus Christ, with the Father. And notice he says, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, that's why Jesus can stand in our defense. That's why Jesus' sacrifice on the cross had the, the uh, power it did because he is righteous, he is pure, and he's holy. And it had to take one like that to stand in our place. And he did it for us. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Maybe some of you have the propitiation. Again, that's the idea of appeasement or satisfaction. Jesus has satisfied or appeased the righteous demands of God, His justice, which is right. So He is the atoning sacrifice or the propitiation, that appeasement for our sins. He took care of them. And the Hebrews says, once for all. You know, it's not like we've got to keep going through, going through. We're forgiven. We just come. That when we sin, we can break fellowship with God, but that's where we repent and we come back. And honestly, as a church, I hope we're repenting every day because if you think you go a day without sin, you're not in touch with, you're not in touch with your heart. You're really not. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world, he says. Verse 3, we know that we have come to know him. And you're going to see throughout this epistle, just as a little clue, he uses that word know over and over. And if you remember, last week I said that those two heresies, docetism and Corinthianism, were part of, of a, of a heresy that would develop, in, especially in the 2nd and 3rd century, called Gnosticism. Remember? That was the, the, the uh, sect that said, well, you're not saved by Jesus' sacrifice. You're saved by special knowledge. And only certain people have that special knowledge. And some people even have s this secret knowledge like that. So... John is making the point about, he keeps using to know, to know, to know. He's saying, you want the real knowledge? It's what I'm telling you here about Jesus. That's the real knowledge, not the secret knowledge of this, of this heretical group. He says, we know that we have come to know him. Again, he says it. If we obey his commands. Wow. Obedience. It's impossible for somebody to say they're born again, that they've been regenerated, if they live the same life that they were living. If the direction and purpose of their life is in the same direction as it was before, there's something wrong. You can't be born again. Think about what the term means to be born again or born from above. 
you're born again. It's a new life. It's literally a new life. It's not the old sinful life. It's a new life. And that's hope. I, I think about my conversion. And yes, I struggled with things and stumbled and you know, had to keep going and repenting to the Lord like I do now. And, but the direction of my life changed. It wasn't so much anymore, it's all about me. It was all about Christ and about others. And that's, you want to know if you're really born again? You should have a love, there should be a love for God and His Word that starts to grow in you, and a love for others. Because it all boils down to love in the end, which we'll look at in a few minutes. But he says that we have come to know Him if we obey His commands. I'm going to read you something from John 14. If you want to follow along, you can, or if you just want to listen. That's okay too. John, the, the Gospel of John, the 14th chapter. And I'm going to read uh, from verse 15 for those of you who are following. Jesus says, If you love me, you'll obey what I command. Wow, that's pretty direct, isn't it? That's pretty clear. If you love me, you're going to do what I say. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Now, I'm going to jump from there, and I'd like you to look at verse 21. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. Do you find that you desire to do it Christ's way, God's way? Do you find that your general disposition is, I want to please the Lord. I want to do what he has asked me to do. Or is it always a resistance that, uh, I want to do it my way. You know, Frank Sinatra, I want to do it my way, always like that, you know. I won't sing, don't worry. Uh, but uh, he says, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Verse 23, Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. Verse 24, he who does not love me will not obey my teachings. I think you get the point. Obedience is a real sign of following Christ. If you're really following Christ, if you really know Him, as John says, if you know Him, you can obey Him. It's a pleasure to obey Him. It's a blessing. When we do follow His laws, we're blessed. In uh, the book of Deuteronomy, Moses had six tribes go up on Mount Gerizim and the other six tribes go up on Mount Ebal. From Mount Gerizim, he has them pronounce the blessings. If they follow, if they obey, 
these are all the blessings that you're going to have as a nation and as a people. And then from Mount Ebal, he, send, he has them pronounce the curses. If you don't follow, if you don't obey, this is what's going to happen to you. I mean, the blessings come with obedience to God. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. But John doesn't pull any punches, does he? He's a liar, he says. And the truth is not in him. That's pretty powerful, he says. The man who does not do his... Now, he's not talking about perfection again. I, I just want to stress that. You know, It's not that that person, every single thing in their life, they never sin. They never stray off. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying there's a general pattern of life. Your general pattern of life follows God and it follows his commands. Like that. And that's why in chapter 1, verse 9, he said, you know, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. All right? So we do have that, but we don't want to use that as an excuse to sin. You know, confessing sin and then being forgiven, we got to be careful with that. Call, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his the, uh, the Cost of Discipleship. He said that's cheap grace is the term he used. He says that's cheap grace. That's taking the sacrifice of Christ, the grace of God that he showed through the, the cross, and we cheapen it. We use that just as a ticket to get out of jail. It's a get out of jail ticket. You know, you just, okay, I confess. Let me, I'm free. No. God knows the heart. We got to remember that. He does. But, and John says, the man who says I know him but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. So that's a sign of that. And may I just add this part of John's uh, letter here. It's very focused upon fellowship. Part of having fellowship with God and with God's people is walking with him, is obeying him, is following him. So you're going to see that throughout this, that it, it, it's very much tied to fellowship here. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Now that's pretty clear. Okay, and we remember Paul when he writes to the Corinthians, he says, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That was Paul's desire to be like Jesus. There was a, uh, is that my time? Or? Okay, I'm close. Okay, good. Nick is my official timekeeper today. I, I was assigned a timekeeper here. Okay. Uh, he says, this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims we must walk as Jesus walked. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one which you have had since the beginning. When he says from the beginning, he's not talking about Genesis here. It's not the very beginning. He's talking about the beginning of when you heard the truth of Christ. When you first heard the gospel is what he's bringing in. And you could say, well, 
Yes, in a sense, this new command, what he's going to say. In fact, I'll, I'll read it here. He says, Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old command which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining there. So he says, I'm not, it's not a new command. He says, but it's an old one. And we go back to the book of Leviticus. Way back, the idea of that's where loving your neighbor comes from. In Leviticus 19.18, uh, it says, love your neighbor as yourself, we're told. So, but he's not really referring to that. He's referring now to the time where they hear the gospel. When he says, since the beginning, he says, this old command is the message you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command. And it's truth is seen in him and you because of the darkness. This idea as far as this truth, this new truth, if you think about it, John now is talking after the cross. So there's a whole new revelation of God's love that we saw. Like that. When we, we saw until the cross, we saw God's grace and love to the Israelites. But then... For God so loved the world. You know, God didn't leave it for us to reach Him. He reached down to us. Even we go back to the idea we have an advocate. We have somebody who is kind of touching the Father and also touching us. He's that bridge between us there like that. And John here, what he's saying is that this new command, it's, it's in a new light, this command. It's in full revelation of God's sacrificial love through Christ for us. So it's even more intense now. That love that God, we, it was always the same, His love, but we saw it in an intenseness by Him taking our place on the cross. We also see it, this, this command is new because in a sense... Think of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus took the law that God gave them and He intensified it. He made it clear to them when God gave you laws, it wasn't just to do them outwardly, but it's inwardly from the heart. When He says, you know, any, you, know you, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that if you just lust in your heart after a woman, you've already committed adultery. He took that law and intensified it. They were looking at it from the outside. Just, if I outwardly follow the law, I'm fine. And Jesus says, no. It's the attitude of the heart where real obedience comes in love. When we follow it, Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, do not murder. But I tell you, anyone who is angry at his brother has already committed murder in his heart. He intensified the law like that. He took it. He's taken the commands and made them more intense as he's done that. And then think of the believer's love for one another through Christ, through this. And he says this old command, he says, and you, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you. Talking to the believers, the Christians, he says, the love of Christ now is being seen in you as well through this command. He says, because the darkness is passing and the true light 
is already shining. Jesus came into the world. He said, I am the light of the world. He brought in, and we are in a, a, a new era here after the cross, the church age, this age. And we're in where the darkness, Jesus brought this, this revelation, this light to us. The true light, he says, is already shining. Anyone who claims, verse 9, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Later on, John will tell us, he say, how can you say you love God whom you have seen when you hate your brother? You know, or God whom you haven't seen, but who, and then your brother, you hate who you do see. He says, how is that possible? How can you say you love God, but you hate your brother? He says, that it doesn't gel. It doesn't work out the way it shouldn't. Really, how, why do we have such a trouble sometimes loving people? Why is that so? We, oh, I can't, you talk to somebody, I can't stand the way he is, or, oh, I just I can't stand him, or I don't like him. And some people are very difficult. I agree. But you know what? When we, when we get hate inside, after a while it causes you skin to wrinkle and you shrivel and it makes you ugly in the end like that you know i mean it really it rots away at you who gets hurt by hating we do it doesn't matter to that person you can hate them all you want but we're the ones who suffer for it in the end you know it, it's just physically they even say you know when you're angry and you're hating like that all kinds of chemicals are working in your body and stress on your heart and stuff you ever see people in love? They're like glowing. You ever notice that? They're just like, you know, the chemicals are just bubbling over and blowing and, uh, you know, but uh, it, it makes sense. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. We struggle so much, it seems, to try to follow God's commands. And Jesus made it so simple. And I'm going to be wrapping up. We're ending. We're almost there. It's so simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. Jesus said that all, he said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Jesus simplified it. He made it so easy. We had, you know, lists you know, a mile long, the Pharisees, they just, and they made it worse. Then they wrote the Mishnah and made commentaries on the law. You know, they had 24 chapters on the Sabbath. Just what is work? What isn't work? Just trying to describe it. When all Jesus, uh, I should say God said was, take the day off. Have a day off from your usual routine. Enjoy it. And take time to think about me. You know, it's a simple law. It's a one, it was supposed to be, I remember someone once said that the, the, the Jewish leaders, religious leaders, made the best day of the week the worst day of the week because people were so restricted, everything, they were afraid to do anything, that, oh, I'm breaking the Sabbath. And it was just, take the day off. Enjoy it. You know, think of me when you enjoy the day, what, the blessings I've given you, you know, and a day of rest. Be glad for that. 
You know, but uh, we, we, we complicate things. Jesus made it simple for us. Look, I know it's not easy. I'm not, I'm not trying to say, oh, I do it every day. No, I struggle. But it doesn't have to be complicated. Loving people is easier than hating them. It takes much more energy and drains us. He says, love. He says, anyone who hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light. And there is nothing in him to make him stumble. If you're loving people, there's nothing to make you stumble. He says, if you're hating people, you're always there. the intrigue and the problems arising. And it's, there's always something. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. We can't be in fellowship with God. And that's one of the things of this book is about fellowship. Fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. We can't be in fellowship with God when we're hating our brother and we're certainly not in fellowship with them. Think about it this week. Who are you angry at? Who are you really, we might even say, you might say it and maybe you don't mean it with all intenseness, but, oh, I can't stand that person. I hate them. Think about it. How about repenting of that and asking God to give you love? You know, and I know what always makes it easy for me is when I just think about God loved me. <laughs> if God can love me, I should be able to love anybody. You know, and that's the way I try to, to think about it. Uh, I'm going to end at this point, and uh, next week I believe our brother Steve Massaro is going to be preaching, so do come and be here, and uh, then following the week after that, we're going to continue in John, uh, Lord will, until we get to the end. Okay, let's pray, and we'll, we'll then end the service. Father, thank you so much. There's so much in those 11 chapters we looked at, 11 verses we looked at this morning. And, and Lord, we hardly touched on each verse. But Lord, the richness that is there and just the guidance for us, Lord, how you have spoken up for us, how you have died for us, how you are our advocate, Lord. You've given us your spirit, Lord. Lord, help us to walk in the light of your love. Help us to love you more and love our brothers and sisters more, Lord. And Lord, where there is any anger, resentment, I pray, Lord, that we would not let it grow in a root of bitterness there but we would take it before you, Lord. Help us to forgive, Lord, as you have forgiven, and to love, Lord. And I pray you'd bless this day now, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.